All right, tonight we're going to try to go back to our study on the last days and look at a few things tonight concerning that. And so let me see here where I want to get you to go to tonight. And we got a lot to look at here. Uh, if you will, go with me to uh, Revelation chapter number 14. Revelation chapter number 14 tonight. We'll just keep it in low gear tonight and just keep approaching this uh, from a study mindset, the way that we have been doing it. And of course, I'm sure you know by now, we have been going through our statement of faith and not just... Uh, Believing a certain thing, but trying to understand why we believe what we believe. It is imperative uh, that we know why we believe what we believe. Otherwise, we'd be carried about by every wind of doctrine. And the first time somebody come along that said something that sounded a little better uh, than maybe what you thought we believed, then we could be led astray. We don't want to do that tonight. So uh, we're just looking at some things here concerning the last days. And I uh, believe the Lord would help us tonight. Let's look at uh, Revelation chapter number 14. Revelation chapter number 14. And I'm going to start in verse number uh, 14. I'm going to read this portion of scripture. Uh, we'll pray and then I'll try to give you, uh, try to back up just a little bit and lead on up into where we're going tonight. Revelation chapter number 14. Uh, and verse number 14, the Bible reads, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat, like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap. For the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse's bridle, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Pray with us and for us tonight. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, and we need you, Lord, to help us as we uh, open the Word of God and look in the truths of the Scripture. Lord, we're needing you to help us to rightly divide tonight. We know what you've laid upon our heart. We know what we've studied. We know what you have been showing us, Lord, through these verses of Scripture. Uh, but, Lord, we want to make sure that not only that we have clarity of thought, but we have clarity of speech tonight. We don't want to mix this up or, or get anybody uh, uh, thinking that we've said something that we didn't intend to say, Lord, or misrepresent that in which what we are trying to say I pray you'd just help us for a little while to stop our stammering tongue and give us a clarity of speech tonight. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, tonight what I'm going to attempt to do is I'm not, what I'm going to try not to do is bite off more than we can chew tonight, all right? 
Uh, and uh, we're just going to keep moving right on through this. We've not dealt with the tribulation period yet, uh, but we've dealt with the second coming and we broke it down into two parts. In the first part, we understand uh, is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ for the church. And uh, we know the church being made up of that of born-again believers. And we know this as the rapture of the church, okay? Now, we know that there is a seven-year tribulation period between the rapture uh, of the church and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ with his church. Now, upon that, uh, that second stage, we know that it's the intention of the Lord Jesus Christ to set up a literal uh, uh, kingdom, this is the kingdom age that we're talking about now, and uh, he'll rule and reign from Jerusalem uh, for a thousand years. All right, and so that is post the tribulation period. All right, uh, this second phase we know consists uh, uh, of the establishment of the literal rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, following the battle of Armageddon. We know that the battle of Armageddon will take place at the end of the tribulation period upon uh, the coming back of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and we know that according to Revelation chapter number 19 where we was at the last Wednesday night that we were dealing with this, that the church uh, will be coming with him, all right? And so uh, we ended our study last time in Revelation number 19 when John saw the heaven open and Jesus who was called faithful and true made his return riding upon a white horse with the armies of heaven whom were also riding, and that being us, right, also riding upon white horses and were clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, let me say this. A lot of people, when we start getting into these verses of Scripture here, uh, they want to start making argument that this is symbolic or that is symbolic, and we do see that there's some things in the Word of God uh, that are symbolic. But I do believe if we look at the context of the scripture, uh, the scripture will help us to denote that and we'll understand uh, where that is at and when it needs to be applied there. All right, but here's what I want you to understand having uh, looked at Revelation 19 the last time that we uh, understand here that the, the Bible says in Revelation 19, you keep holding your place in Revelation 14, but go with me to Revelation 19 for a moment. Uh, that the Bible says here in the armies in verse 14, uh, Revelation 19 and 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, we, we brought it out that that is the church, but I want to back that up uh, tonight and, and show you a few things here. We know uh, this army to be saved uh, because of the truth that we will be with him where he is and also by the clothing that we see this army, which is going to be us, wearing. Uh, we know that the, the army to be saved. The church has been raptured by this time, uh, and we understand that prior to the tribulation period uh, that the Lord called the church out, right? And so now that the Lord is coming back in this second stage, he's bringing the church with him. We know that the Bible tells us uh, in John 14 that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be. So we made this point known that no matter where the Lord is, we're going to be with the Lord, right? So the Lord has left the portals of glory. He's returned now at the rapture. His feet doesn't touch down, but uh, this second stage of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his feet's going to touch down, according to, the, uh, according to the book of Zechariah, it's going to be at the Mount of Olives. 
All right? And so we, we'll look at that a little bit more in depth here in a little while. But uh, what I'm saying is he's going to touch down on this earth. He's going to touch down on this earth and the armies of God is coming with him and that's going to be you and that's going to be me, all right? And so where he is, we know that's where we're going to be and so we find out that, uh, that, that when he comes back, these folk that's going to be with him is us folk, right? All right, and those that are saved by the grace of God. Now, there's different viewpoints across the board uh, in different denominations and, and things of that nature concerning the millennial reign. And we do believe in a literal thousand year reign and I'm going to look at that in a little bit more depth as time goes on. Uh, but I'm trying to just not bite off more than I can chew and run in too many different directions and not be able to pull it uh, all back together in a certain amount uh, of time. I've already been accused here recently of not keeping my eye on the watch uh, quite enough. So anyway, that's just joking. But having said all that, um, we believe in a literal thousand year reign because it's uh, it is the fulfillment of God's promise to Israel to restore them to the land that they lost in disobedience. All right, And we reject what is called replacement theology. And we do not believe that the church inherited the promises of Israel or that the church replaces Israel in any way. And because of that, some things that the Lord has promised uh, to, the, to the people of God, that being his chosen people, the nation of Israel, uh, the Jew, if you will, uh, that uh, there's some things that has to take place, right? And so there's a, there's a distinct difference between uh, the church and that of Israel. Now, look with me, if you will, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I got you holding it a bunch of places, but go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, and verse number 32. I want to show you something here real quick. Uh, and, and contextually, there's a whole lot going on in these verses, but I'm going to show you one verse of Scripture, not particularly looking at all the context of this chapter, but just to make this point, okay? And I know we're not doing any harm to this Scripture by not looking at the whole context of this chapter, but this one verse will show you what I want you to see. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 32 the Bible says here, and this is Paul writing to the church of Corinth, give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. So he encompasses the whole world in three portions. The Jew, the Gentile, and the church. So the, the, Paul has wrote to the church of Corinth and broke the world up basically in three classes of people. Now you understand here that Romans 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, verse 16, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we know that Jesus Christ came into his own, his own received him not, but we do know that Jesus Christ died for the entire world. So whether you're Jew or whether you're a Gentile, it doesn't matter. He come and died and any man, woman, boy, girl that believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved and be part of the church. So at that point, it's not are you a Jew or are you a Gentile? Are you a Jew or are you a Greek, which we know is a Gentile? It's a matter of now you're a part of the church. All right, so any Jew that accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, when Jesus Christ calls the church out at the rapture, the Jew that's saved by the grace of God is coming out as the church. All right? All right, and I thank the Lord for that. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes the Jew first and also the Greek. For there, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. But we still find that Paul broke down this world into three classes. 
the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. All right, so the Lord's not done with the Jew. Okay, all right, so having understand that, let's look, if you will, uh, let me go back to uh, Revelation chapter number 14. The Bible says, and I looked and behold, verse number 14 of Revelation chapter 14, and I looked and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, I want you to notice this white cloud. Now, we're talking about in Revelation 19 that the army of God is coming back clothed in white linen, right? White is synonymous in the Word of God with purity, and cleanliness, right? And, and so we, we, the lot can be said about this matter of white. Uh, Psalm 51, 7 says, Purge me with a hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now we know the hyssop, if you, if you look at the, the law first mentioned and you begin to think about hyssop, it was hyssop that was used to apply the blood on the doorpost and the lintel uh, back in Egypt uh, at the first Passover. Right, and so the, this this is a matter of blood bringing forth cleanliness. Now we understand the Book of Revelation talks about that you and I, the church, those that are born again, were washed in the blood of the Lamb. Right, and so Psalm fifty-one seven says, "Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter." Than snow. Now we look at the context of Psalms 51 and we know this is considering the sin that David committed with that of Bathsheba. Now David was king of what? King of Israel. It's amazing because when you look at the context of the Lord in relationship to Israel, we was just talking Sunday morning in the book of Hosea how the Lord took Hosea and told him to marry a woman of whoredoms and showed him a great uh, a valuable understanding of what it was to be a spouse to one that was unfaithful. David, the king of Israel, it's Jesus that's going to sit on the throne of who? David, right? He's going to rule and reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And so we're looking at all this and we look at, at David being a picture of what he does with Bathsheba as to what's going on with the nation of Israel as a whole. They've gone on whoring as the Bible says, right? And so the, the Lord is definitely not done with that of Israel. But, but having said all that, it says, and I looked and behold a white cloud. This matter of white is synonymous with purity. We, we understand in Matthew 7 12, the Bible said, in, uh, looking on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible said, was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. We look at Isaiah chapter number 1 and verse number 18, and the Bible says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So white is a picture of purity. And, and those which is, is us in that future event at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes to fight uh, the battle of Armageddon and he comes to set up his millennial kingdom and, and rule and reign from Jerusalem, it is the church, those that have been saved, those that have been born again, those that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, that is why. Right? And pure and coming back. And so we, we look at these things. But I, I'm interested in this matter of, of uh, verse 14 where the Bible said in Revelation 14, 14, And I looked and behold a white cloud. Who's looking? 
It's John, right? John's seeing a revelation. John's looking at something. Now, when we look at this, the reason I'm flipping between Revelation 14 and Revelation 19 is Revelation 19, starting in verse 11, shows us the second coming of Christ. But when we look at Revelation 14, starting in verse 14, we are seeing, uh, we are seeing John as he is viewing uh, in this revelation the battle of Armageddon. Now the battle of Armageddon follows verses 11 through 16 of Revelation chapter number 19. Okay, so we're looking and, and bouncing back and forth between chapter 19 and chapter 14 because both, both of these chapters are dealing with the battle of Armageddon as the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to set up his millennial uh, reign, all right? But it says, and I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the son of man. Now we look at Revelation 19 and 11. The Bible says, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. What's this matter of a cloud? What, what is this? What is this matter of a cloud? If you'll go back and you'll look uh, when Moses brought the children of Israel uh, out of Egypt. And they set up the tabernacle, Right? Those, uh, the children of Israel and Moses moved when the cloud moved, right? If the cloud did not move about the tabernacle, then the children of Israel did not move. They were following the Lord. When the Lord wanted them to move, the cloud would move. They would pack up the tabernacle, close up shop, and go where the cloud went. Right, And so we, we see a significance because the cloud is likened unto that of the Holy Spirit of God. It was the Spirit of God that was telling the children of Israel the direction that he wanted them to go. Right, And so we find here that when we look at uh, Revelation 14 and 14, the Bible says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. Now, when you're below, you're lo they were looking at the cloud, right? And the cloud was leading them. But what's above the cloud? The Lord. John is not looking at this from the eyes of man sitting upon the earth looking up. He has a vision. He is seeing this being revealed to him like it was as unto God. He is seeing it through God's eyes. He's not seeing it through his eyes. History tells us he didn't even have no eyes. All right, so here's what I'm saying to you. It says, and I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the son of man having on his head a golden crown and his hand a sharp sickle. I believe we're looking here and thinking of uh, that Shekinah glory. I believe this is the cloud we're talking about. I don't think we're talking about looking up into the sky and seeing a white cloud. I think we're seeing the, the same mindset that we have when we look at the cloud that was covering the tabernacle in the wilderness when it led the, when the Spirit of God led the children of Israel where the Spirit of God wanted them to go. So as I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud uh, uh, one sat like unto the Son of Man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, uh, Quickly, just holding your place there, let's go to Psalms 2 again as we learned the other Wednesday night that Psalms 2 is prophetic concerning uh, this, this event here. Proverbs, Psalms, excuse me, Psalms 2. If I told you Proverbs, I'm sorry. Psalms 2. Well, come on now. All right, Psalms chapter number two, as we mentioned uh, the other Wednesday night, verses one through nine are prophetic, looking towards the future, uh, this around the second coming in the millennial kingdom. Verses 10 and 12 are a warning. Now, as we look 
at uh, chapter 2, verse 6, the Bible says here, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now, we looked on as we was talking last uh, the last time we dealt with these portions of Scripture, we were talking about how uh, in verse 9, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And we were talking about uh, how the Lord said in Revelation chapter uh, number 19, in verse number 15, that he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So we see that this chapter is prophetic looking to this time frame that we're looking at in Revelation 14, Revelation uh, chapter number 19. But we find here, it says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. What's that? That's Jerusalem, right? So, so we're, not, we're not talking always symbolically here. We're not talking about something that, that, that just, you know, the revelation symbolic and that's not really what's happening. No, it's literally going to happen. It was prophesied that the Lord Jesus Christ would set up uh, and rule and reign from that of Jerusalem. And so uh, the Bible says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Jesus came into his own, but his own received him not. He isn't done with a Jew. We know that. He'll rule and reign uh, at Jerusalem for a thousand years. But in Revelation 14 and verse number 19, we see something interesting take place. And there's a lot between uh, Revelation 14, 14 and Revelation 14, 20 that we will need to cover later on as we study this out. But I'm trying to stay on one theme tonight and not get caught up in a bunch of other things. So you go with me quickly to Revelation chapter number 14 and verse number 19. I want to show you something there. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 14 and verse number 19, And the angel thrust in his sickle, into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city. Now I want you to notice this, those three words in verse number 20. Without the city. And blood came out of the winepress even under the horse's bridle by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now I underlined those three words without the city. And we uh, can do some figures here, and I guess there's, uh, there's a little bit of an argument that ensues when you start trying to put uh, a, a number or a figure, if you will, on what a furlong is. Uh, some would say that a furlong is 606.75 feet. Some would say that it is 582 feet, but regardless, it's pretty long in feet, and it's encompassing somewhere around the, the figure of 600. All right, but if we use 606.75 times 1,600 furlongs divided by 528 feet per mile, you're going to get 183.86 miles. That's a, long, that's a long distance for there to be blood running four foot high. All right, then we would take, uh, well, 582 feet, uh, and we would multiply that by 1,600 furlongs divided by 5,200 uh, 5, uh, and 80 feet per mile, you get 176.36 miles. So somewhere between 175 to 200 miles long is going to be blood running four foot high. The horse's bridle is running up about four foot high. That's a whole lot of blood fixing to be shed at the battle of Armageddon. You understand that? And we look at Revelation 19 and we understand that it's the Lord that's fixing to cause this blood to come to pass. All right, he's coming back and he's going to fight in this battle and he's going to conquer the Bible teaches us that he is going to conquer. All right, so as we consider this, 
uh, we, I want you to notice what happens at this battle. Because we're looking now, we're looking at John through John's eyes as he's viewing and, and looking at this revelation of this battle of Armageddon. Now we ended last time talking about how the Lord Jesus Christ was coming back and we began to move into this matter of the battle of Armageddon and after the battle of Armageddon we run into the millennial kingdom and that's kind of where we stopped. But here's what I'm interested in tonight. In verse 20 it says, And the winepress was trodden without the city. Go with me now, if you will, to Hebrews chapter number 11. Actually, wait right there just a minute. Go to Revelation 11 and 8. I need you to go to Revelation 11 and 8 before we go to Hebrews chapter number 11. Revelation chapter number 11 and verse number 8. The Bible says in Revelation 11 and verse number 8, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Was our Lord crucified in Egypt? Was our Lord crucified in Sodom? No, absolutely not. What's happening here? Well, we find a verse of Scripture in the book of Revelation that's symbolic. But the book of Revelation in this verse of Scripture denotes that it's symbolic. How do you know? Because the Bible says, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. The Word of God denotes the fact that, that spiritually we're looking at a matter of sin. Sodom was a place of sin. Egypt was a place of sin. Egypt was a place where God took Moses and used a man to withdraw his people out of a sinful, oppressive land. Right? Now what was it that Jesus Christ done? Jesus Christ is known in the word of God as the second Adam. He come to take away the sins of the world. He come to save those that would call upon him in faith and in repentance, right? And so here's what I'm, here's what I'm trying to show you. The Lord come as a redeemer. Did he not? He come as a redeemer. So here's what I'm getting at. The Bible says, And their, and their bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. So if you underline anything in your Bible, you can underline those words, the great city. The great city is what city? Jerusalem. So Jerusalem here and what Jesus done at Jerusalem, we're finding is, is, is what Jesus done was he saved his people, those that would call upon him, just like he saved the children of Israel out of Egypt who would follow Moses out. We understand that Lot vexed his righteous soul, right? But the Lord got Lot out of Sodom even though Sodom was destroyed. Okay, so having understood that, we look at uh, Revelation 14 and 20, and the Bible says, and the winepress was trodden without the city. What city? We're talking about this great city that's being referred to in Revelation chapter 11 and verse number eight, the city of Jerusalem. So we're finding here, Brother Shane, that whatever's going on with this battle at Armageddon with this blood running 180 miles roughly long and four foot deep up to the horse's bridle is happening somewhere around the region of the outskirts of Jerusalem. Why is that significant tonight? Well, go with me to Hebrews chapter number 11. We won't be long tonight. We, we won't be long tonight at all. Let's go to Hebrews chapter number 11. And I want to show you this and then we'll, we'll try to move on uh, down, the, down the pike, all right? Hebrews chapter number 11. Let 
I mean to be in Hebrews 13. Yeah, Hebrews 13. I, mis, I miswrote that in my notes. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. I get in a big way writing notes sometimes and I might mark the wrong chapters. All right, Hebrews chapter 13. Let's look at verse number 10. The Bible says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Now what's that mean? That means the good that they got out of the blood, they take the bodies outside the camp and they get rid of it. Now I want you to notice what happens to Jesus. It says in verse number 12, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Now right now we're without a city. This stuff gets me, I'm telling you. Right now we're without a city. We're pilgrims and strangers traveling through this land. But we look for one, right? Now, notice this with me if you will. You can go, and I ain't trying to get ahead of myself because we got so much to cover. But you go to Revelation chapter number 21 and you find there's a new heaven and a new earth. A new Jerusalem. A new Jerusalem. Right here, Jesus is not worthy to be in Jerusalem. Oh, he's riding on a donkey through Jerusalem. And they're, and they're putting down these palm branches in front of him. And they're making over him like he's something. But then they mock him and they send him to Calvary. And he dies, and he's not even worthy to die for the shame in the city that he was going to rule and reign in for a thousand years. But they mock him as the king. They take him outside of the city, and they put him on a cross at Calvary, and they hang, hang him up between the heavens and the earth, and they make fun of him. And mock him as if he's not even a king. Can I say to you, there's a reason when he comes back the second time, Brother Shane, that he does what he does outside of Jerusalem. He takes those that, uh, that, that he needs to square up with, if you will, outside of Jerusalem and shows them the last time he was outside of Jerusalem, he was hanging on a cross at Calvary for the sins of the world. But now he's back and he will rule and reign from within Jerusalem on the throne of David and he will deal with them outside of the city of Jerusalem. So notice here, if you will, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. Can I say he's coming back and he's setting things in order on the second go round? All right? But he had to die outside the city of Jerusalem. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people without his own blood suffered without the gate. Now I began to think about what happened when they arrested Jesus. Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, right? And, and what was happening to him? He was under such pressure. Now we know that the garden was what? It was an olive garden. Olive trees in that garden. And the olives, you understand, uh, are, are, are to be pressed. And you know how they press the olives? They mash the olives, Right? But what was it that Jesus was under? He was under such pressure that he began to bleed. 
He sweat, Brother Donnie, as great drops of blood that come out of his pores because of the pressure that he was under. Now I want you to notice this, if you will, when we take of the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do here next Sunday, I believe it is, we take the, the cup, which is the, the, the blood, if you will, the fruit of the vine that represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? How do you get the, how do you get the juice, if you will, the fruit of the vine? How do you get that, that, that moisture out of that grape? You have to mash it. You have to mash it. You know what happened to him, Brother Shane? They mashed him. They squeezed him. They hurt him. They brutally wounded him and caused the blood to come forth from his body. And it's you and I that ride back with him on the second coming in white linen and clean. Why? Because we was washed in that blood. But there's going to be bloodshed this time outside the city of Jerusalem and it's not going to be the Lord Jesus' Christ's blood. You understand what I'm saying to you? But I want you to notice this go around. Jesus is outside the city of Jerusalem and cannot take in his first coming, what is rightfully his. Now he was coming to buy you and me. He wasn't coming to set up his kingdom at Jerusalem and rule on the throne of David the first time. He was coming to buy you and me and make a way that you and I could go with him and be with him. See, he couldn't set up in Jerusalem then at that time. Guess what? You and I couldn't either. But now that he's bought you and he's bought me and he's made a way for every man, woman, boy, and girl that believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, then they can be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns from Jerusalem for a thousand years, you and I are going to rule and reign with him. And I thank the Lord for that. But here's what I like. We are not going to be outside of the city of heaven. We're not going to be outside the new Jerusalem trying to get in. Why? Because the heavens and earth are going to pass away. See, you understand that the Lord Jesus Christ, he will rule. He will reign a thousand years in Jerusalem. And I think it's Zechariah chapter 14. Go there with me for just a moment. Let's look at that verse of scripture before we quit tonight. Zechariah. Chapter number 14. All right. Zechariah, chapter number 14, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken and the houses rifled and the women ravished and half of the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Isn't it amazing of all the earth that's out there and the many square miles of earth that, 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 is, that is out there? 
that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, Brother Shane, in the second coming, in, in Revelation 19, we see that the armies of God, which is the church, is coming with him. He's going to have his feet at the Mount of Olives. The very place, hmm, the very place where they arrested your Savior and my Savior to mock him and make fun of him is the very place that you and I are going to stand with him when he makes recompense and find that he goes to battle at Armageddon and he causes blood to rise four foot high and 180 feet long. We're going to be there. I wasn't there when they crucified Jesus. I wasn't there when, when, when Malchus lost his ear. I wasn't there when they hung him up and stretched him out. And I wasn't there when they ripped his insides from his body for you and for me. But I will be there when he comes back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'll do that because he was willing to come the first time and give his body a living sacrifice for you and for me. And so I'll say this to you, because of that, he was outside the gates of Jerusalem. And this time, we're going to be outside the gates of Jerusalem with him, watching him at the Battle of Armageddon. But let me say this to you. When that new Jerusalem comes, because of what he'd done for me, having stood outside the gates of Jerusalem and let them kill him, I'll be inside of that new Jerusalem because of what he done for you and for me. And so having said that, we look at Zechariah chapter number 14. If I can find my place back over here again, I get foggy in my glasses and can't see. It says here, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave uh, in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountains shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee, and it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light, and it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea in summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. All the land shall be turned as plain from Geba to Remen, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate unto the corner gate from the tower of Hananiel unto the king's winepress. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor, and Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance, and so shall be the plagues of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, of the ass, and of all the beasts that shall be in these tents this plague. 
And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year, listen now, <laughs> to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them uh, shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not that have no uh, rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowels, uh, the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take that sacrifice uh, and take of them and see therein. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. He's coming to literally rule and reign. So we'll end there tonight and we'll move into the millennial kingdom on next Wednesday night and begin to go through his thousand year reign and what he's going to do while he reigns upon this earth. And you'll find that now that people get weird about this because there's going to be sacrifices in those days. And people, people don't understand that. I, I am with him already because of that sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ being my sacrifice. But we're going to look at these sacrifices and we're going to look at what's going on in those days of his literal rule and reign. You cannot go to the scripture. You cannot look at prophetic teaching and come to any other conclusion than the Lord is literally going to rule and reign upon this earth. There's no other way to, there's no other way to do it. The only reason that people do not believe that the Lord is literally going to rule and reign upon this earth is because they're not studying their Bible. They're taking what somebody else has said to them uh, as truth instead of learning it for themselves. And that is the whole point of our lesson uh, as we look at these uh, last days. We're going through our statement of faith so that we know why we believe what we believe. And I'm going to be honest with you. The more you study this stuff out and you actually see what the Lord is going to do in the future, it's exciting. It's exciting because I'm going to tell you something. You have this, people have this idea that well, when it's all over, they're just going to have to go to heaven and they're going to have to do, you know, serve. They're just going to have to worship the Lord. It's going to be exciting. There's going to be things that go on that you can't imagine, and there ain't anything wrong with us looking at the Word of God as long as we rightly divide it uh, and see what the Word of God has to say to us about that. Hey, we're only going to live in eternity, right? We're only going to do this for now on. We might as well look at it and get excited about it because I tell you, there ain't nothing exciting about this world and what this world has to offer. But I tell you this, I'm glad. I'm glad to know that I'm not going to be outside the new city of Jerusalem. But I'll be inside of it with the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. Thank you for this time of study and looking into the word of God. Lord, we look at how they took you outside of Jerusalem and done awful things to you. Lord, you let them that we might be saved. And I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for my salvation. I thank you for what you've done for me, for allowing me the opportunity to be saved. And, Lord, that you're going to allow me to be with you for all of eternity. Wherever you are, that's where I'm going to be. Lord, heaven wouldn't be heaven if it weren't for you. And I thank you, Lord, that you love me. Thank you that you abide on the inside. Thank you that you take care of me. And, Lord, I thank you that when I'm gone, I'll be in eternity with you. And we'll, we appreciate that so very much. Help us, Lord, to have a zeal this week as we go into this lost and dying world to try to help people understand their need for a Savior. 
that they might call upon you while they have an opportunity to call upon you. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen and amen. All right.